Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review last night's AEW Dynamite, a very eventful show. And a very uneven show Mm. as well. The things I liked on this show, I really, really liked. The stuff I didn't like on this show, I was actively annoyed by or just felt nothing towards. Um... Look, I think post-revolution, there's been this concerted attempt to tell different stories. Um, I think there's been a, uh, I don't know, like an analysis internally about what they shouldn't be doing going forward, what feels cliched, like the gauntlets just don't exist. Yeah. They are really thinking about a new slash old way of successfully doing things. So I'm still hyped for Double or Nothing. I still like the overall directions that the top stories are taken, but I thought this was... Very uneven. Would you say this show had lots of ups and downs? Yes, an equal amount distributed. And if you want to read about them for what is essentially a transcript of this podcast, <laughs> you can do so at whatculture.com slash WWE, where it should be there now. Mm. Yeah. I like reading uh, Michael Sidgwick's thoughts on AW Dynamite. There's not enough soundboard. Well, have I got a yeah, podcast for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start at the beginning of this show. It opened uh, with the uh, next step in the brilliant Swerve versus Darby Allen rivalry. Uh, and very nearly went about 15 seconds this match. Darby Allen wasn't playing games straight away. He hit the uh, float over stunner and a tope outside and then went for a coffin drop. But uh, Swerve managed to avoid that, but then got hit with a somersault sent on to the floor by Darby Allen. Um, Darby Allen tries to come off the steel steps, but he gets his feet swept from underneath him. Uh, and then I did like, I think it was, I think it was Excalibur's reaction, or it might have been Taz, because he's a bit of a sadist, where Swerve just dragged Darby Allen down the steel steps and his head sort of bounced off each one. Um, 
They get in the ring. Strickland pulls the belt off Darby Allen, starts whipping him with it, and then he like, he choked him with his own uh, choker, basically. Um, we see Sammy Guevara uh, watching backstage later on. I can't remember what point. We saw Jungle Boy doing the exact same thing. Um, Darby Allen fights and, well, bites his way back into it. It's a uh, thrust kick on the apron, though, and a slingshot double stomp on the floor to take us to a break. Uh, when we come back, Strickland gets hung up in the rope, so Darby Allen takes off his boot and bites his foot um, and goes for, like, knee bars and stuff. Strickland goes for a brain buster. Darby Allen counters into a scorpion death drop in midair. Oh, my God. I love that bit. Um, then they fight on the apron, and uh, I've gone early here because there was another bit I want to use this for. Darby Allen hit, in a, hit a poison rana to the floor. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's one each there. Um, he hits a coffin drop in the ring, but Prince Nana uh, puts Strickland's foot on the ropes. Um, so Darby Allen goes after him. Out comes Brian Cage because they are now, of course, the Mogul Embassy, I think was the name they've called it. Mm. They've merged Mogul affiliates and then the Embassy, of course. Um, so Brian Cage comes out and Darby Allen goes, no, I remember what happened on Rampage. I'm just going to get back to my match, in fact. Um, gets back in. Strickland hits that brilliant house call kick and a double stomp off the top for a, gr- top for a great two count. Um, Cage is there at ringside. He trips Darby Allen, uh, which allows Strickland to come back into it. He thinks about using a chair, but thinks better off it as uh, the referee's staring straight at him. Um, Strickland tries to go for a roll through, uh, gets hit with a code red. Um, that's another great two count, but in the end, Darby Allen hooks in that last supper pin to get the one, two, three. And as soon as Darby Allen wins, literally the ref hands comes down, the ref, the ref for signals for the bell, and then immediately world champion MJF comes out. We'll get to what he said and what happened there in a second. But your thoughts on the match, Sige? Uh, I thought this was absolutely great. Yeah. Um, electrifying opening match. Um, and I just love the amount of story and detail that went into this. So, Darby was hit by a car. Yeah. And then, in a great Excalibur call, hit by the truck that is Brian Cage. <laughs> great, great call from Excalibur. So, basically, he needed to win. He's orbiting this world title picture. This Four Pillars match is coming together, but it's not set yet. They are obviously trying to build up Sammy, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and Darby with equal amount of wins or there or thereabouts. So you know he needs to win, but he's pretty battered, so he has to do it quickly. So he goes at 2x speed, more than normal, <laughs> yeah. which is one of the fastest wrestlers alive, in this absolutely blistering, pulsating opening salvo, which just energized yeah. me. I was so wide awake this morning, I'm going to be feeling it later. So because he's got this urgency to win, and he's genuinely damaged himself as much as Swerve almost to get there. Swerve's control period phase really sort of works. He's got this nasty, compelling, mm. interesting way of grinding an opponent down at the best of times. But this really worked because you know that that was kind of his shot to win and he needed to do it quickly. And that built into that goddamn apron reverse poison Rana because Darby needed to do something gruesome and risky to put Swerve away. And I loved how... Like, I love a fireworks daft match at the best of times, but this spot so, served such a purpose. Mm. Because not only did he need to do something like that, not only do you need to put over in defeat Swerve Strickland, given that he's got main event business with Keith Lee later in the evening, 
but that spot wasn't thrown away, and it somehow wasn't the peak of excitement in that match, even though it was one of the most insane things you'll see on Dynamite this year. Everything subsequent to that apron runner felt like it had to be the finish because mm. how can they go any further? So that incited this awesome exchange of like really convincing near falls because I just thought literally everything has to be the end because how Swerve coming back and it didn't feel gratuitous or something cool for the sake of it. It felt like, right, this sudden death drama after that spot. I thought this was exceptional. The selling, the way it was paced, the story, the multi-stranded story they told. This was... Uh, Power is back stuff. Yeah, I watched this thing and thought, well, there's two future world champions for AEW right there. Yeah. This could be a future world title match. I think, yeah, really keep reminding people about the rival these two had. Obviously, Swerve later on basically took credit for Derby winning because he said, I yeah. sort of made you. Um, but yeah, loved that. And then loved even more what came next. So MJF, as I said, as soon as the bell rings, he comes out in a great blue suit. Uh, he calls it mid-walkie. Um, congratulates, congratulates Darby Allen on winning for once without Sting's help. Um, he says, what a great match. But of course it was great. Who remembers full gear 2021? We all do. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest matches in the history of pro wrestling, even though Darby is a sh little emo schmuck. Um, he may be one of the greatest he's ever stepped into the ring with. Um, that's a fact. But two words, headlock takeover. Um, he beat him with the straightforward headlock takeover move, basically. He says, look, I know you're stupid. Um, you're just not on the level um, of me, of the devil, basically. And Darby fires back saying, "You are you happy, Max? I met you six years ago. We were wrestling in front of 30 people, and you said the moment you make it to TV, all these problems you've got are going to wash away. But you're here, and nothing's changed. Um, I thought the same. I chased all these material things. But in my first year of AEW, I checked into therapy because I didn't want to seem happy but be dying inside. And therapy taught him that his family and his close friends, family, etc., um, they were the things that made him happy. Um, he's managed to buy his parents a house, which is awesome, and help his dad retire with what he's done here in AEW. He says, look, Sting isn't my dad. Um, he's my best friend, though. Uh, and he reminds him, this is just a 15-minute ride, Max. Um, I'm not going to get off and wonder who all these random people are that I've let into my personal life. I'm not like you. Uh, I'm not going to lower my morals to be someone in this world. Uh, and MJF fires back by saying, you're an arrogant little boy. You think you're special. Look, people have been going through this sh for years to get to the top. Um, I'm tired of morals. Morals kill careers. That's a fact. Um, you stand here like you're some sort of daredevil, but you're really uh, a gutless coward uh, who won't sacrifice what must be sacrificed. I'm not an idiot, MJF says. Uh, I'm aware that I may end up on my deathbed all alone, and I might not go to heaven, but I couldn't give a sh. As long as the triple B comes with me, that's all that matters. That is the difference between me and the other three, Jungle Boy, obviously, uh, Sammy and, and Darby. I'll do whatever it takes, but not you. I will leave a legacy in this sport, and it will read the greatest of all time. You know what yours is going to read, Darby? It'll be Darby Allen Sting's bitch. And then, it's Sting! This brings Sting out, of course, who... Oh, it's the best. We couldn't have called this by any stretch of the imagination. He comes out, and he's got pom-poms in his pockets. I love how they were just there. I love how they were just there, but it's it's still great. He's got one pom-pom in one pocket, another one. He's got one in his, like, inside jacket pocket, and he's throwing them at MJF, and he says, Oh, MJF, you know, 
you offended? I'll, I'll, if you promise to stop, I'll stop. Uh, stop talking about this Cody daycare. Oh, oh, I said Cody. The truth hurts, doesn't it, Max? Uh, you had a cheerleader, just like I am one for Derby. You had a support system. Uh, Derby's got one. The young surfer sting has one, had one too. Uh, he puts over Ric Flair for putting him on the map. He says, love your nature, boy. Uh, he says, <laughs> he says, I evolved. I turned a little crow, a little wolf pack. He gives a nod to, to Kevin and Scott. He says, look, might be a bit obvious by now, but I've clearly got a little joker left in me. Uh, but what I don't have is a hunger or a thirst for a world title. Let's be honest, showtime is almost over. But for Darby Allen, showtime is just starting. Mark my words, Darby Allen will become AW World Heavyweight show, uh, Champion. It is showtime. And Darby says, yeah, this fake plastic world's not taking me alive. I'll leave the same person I came in. I'll leave with the title. I'll end the reign of terror. I will be the next champion. And in response, MJF spits in Darby's face and then rolls out of the ring. Got lots of thoughts here, so I'll try not to ramble too much. I think this morals thing is going to lead to something at the pillars, four-way, a double or nothing. I think that one of Jack Perry or Darby Allen is going to realize that they could pin Sammy. Oh, yeah. And then realize, nah, I need to beat him. So they have the bragging rights and the, the credibility of they could could have been the champion, but they want to do it later down the line in a far more yeah. um, like good, just way. So I think they can really play with that in the match itself. Um, the other broader point I wanted to make is that, well, before I get to that, I'm going to criticize something later in the show, a prop that just happened to be there because it suited the narrative and it was contrived. You could make the exact same argument about the pom-poms here, but I don't care. It was contrived, but it was just too good. Yeah, give me it cheerleader was, sting. Yeah, it was just too funny, too amusing. Um, last week, I talked about um, how Jack Perry doing the sort of masquerading as a band member, but it turns out it's Jack Perry and he's coming <laughs> to beat MGF. He doesn't have the comedic chops to pull something like that off, and I thought it was a bad move. Sort of happily, I guess, Sting doing something similar, prop comedy, brought into focus that you should not take that direction with Jungle Boy, Jack mm. Perry, and it was a bad move, and a select few can get away with it. And um, Sting, like Steve Austin, I can't think of many more who can do it <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Certainly not Jack Perry. They should take a different track with him going forward. My main point with this was, right, that I've talked a lot about how I really like this four-way storyline, and what I like about it is that you've been asked to invest in these four men since day one. The idea that day, what, 1,000 and odd, four years later, nearly four years later, they are telling you, they are telling you, keyword telling you, that your investment is rewarded. They're all getting a pay-per-view main event. Thank you for sticking with them. And the journey's on anywhere near over yet. I love the approach to continuity. It's almost unparalleled, at least in North American pro wrestling. So that's great. But when I say tell, I'm not really being shown it. Mm. I'm being told there's a reason why they're doing the four-way and not MGF versus Jack Perry. They don't believe in that. And I find that lack of belief is a cute workaround, but it does obscure something a little bit damning in that they haven't done... They've tried so hard with Jack Perry. He's not there yet. They've tried really hard with Sammy Guevara. 
he's not there yet. Hence why it's his four-way match, which I think is a really exciting, unique, creative compromise. But I couldn't watch this segment and escape the feeling that they are there with Darby Allen. Mm. And MJF versus Darby could be headlining this double or nothing show. And the fact that Darby's there and Jack Perry and Sammy Guevara to varying degrees aren't, I think it damns them by comparison. Yeah. So I think it was a risky move and it's paying off mostly. But when I watched, when I've, it was the same with the promo train that kicked all of this off. Darby MJF felt like the match. Yeah. Felt more like the match here. You know, it's a meritocracy. This is a good thing. Maybe Tony Khan will have a choice to make in the next two years of, right, I need to go with Darby or Jack Perry. This feud will act as sort of like a test. So I just think he was so candid, so impassioned. Like, where did these promos come from? I was from about Darby? to say that, yeah. Where have these promos come from? He's amazing at this. And it just feels like there actually is a singles match from all of the permutations of this mm. four pillars four way. And I saw it last night and I kind of at this point want it more, but we'll see what the next few weeks bring. Yeah. I remember um, a year or maybe even two years ago, we sat in here and we sort of plotted out future title changes. Well, t- we you know where the title was going to go. Um, and, you know, maybe even we've talked about the year of the reign of terror and Darby Allen's name is always mentioned as a, a potential feud for MJF. And I think I always internally sort of dismissed it as like, yeah, that'll be a good TV main event, I suppose. Maybe like a... like a. You do want to use the word B-plus player. Yeah. But you th- there, is, there are A's and there are B-pluses. Yeah, it wouldn't have been like the t- t- dates would have been wrong. But effectively like a, a winter is coming, for example. Oh, that'd be a good little match for yeah. that. And then in these past few weeks, Darby Allen, because I would have said... If you're going to make me, you're going to push me and say, what kind of levels Darby Allen promo-wise? I'd have said probably in or around Jack Perry. Like They both can say the words they've been told to say fine, but you're never going to go like, hey, boy, should we get around the, the uh, Sidious screen and re-watch that promo yeah, of yeah, theirs? Yeah. And then Darby Allen's just knocked out of the park twice in like three weeks or whatever it a is. A lot of this is MJF has got that uncanny ability as a champion to make you want to see every babyface beat him. Yeah. Um, so he does, he's a great uh, caddy. Yeah. He's a great caddy. He's great in the caddy role. Um, but equally, Darby is just, he feels like the man. If it's been such a great arc. He's such an, he's, I still think he's the most underrated wrestler on the planet. Increasingly, he feels like he could have headlined the show with MGF yeah. by himself. Uh, then we got the TNT <clears throat> title match. Yeah. Powerhouse Hobbs versus Silas Young. Um, before the match, we saw Hobbs pulling up to the car to the arena in a car that we were reminded was gifted to him by QT Marshall last week. I thought, hmm, interesting to really focus on that. Yeah. Uh, the match was nothing like we thought it was going to be. I thought, I think we thought with him being a Milwaukee boy. Yeah, that's subverted it. Yeah, it was going to be a back and forth 10, 15 minute affair. 60 seconds. It was basically a spine buster and Hobbs at his finish and got the one, two, three. Silas Young didn't stand a chance. So post-match, Hobbs and Marshall uh, drag him up the rank. They're going to kill him. They're going to throw him through those tables that are just by the side of the ramp. Conveniently. Um, mm. What are they there for? So we see, we see Wardlow all of a sudden in the parking lot and he's got a pipe and he chases off the valet guy and he smashes up the windows of the car and he scratches it up with the pipe and he uh, he gets the the little pole from the red. I did like that spot. 
I was like, all right, you've just hit it. You've, okay, you hit, it, you hit the bonnet, you hit the side, you scratch the side, you hit the back window. And then he picked up one of the, the, the things with the red, uh, red rope on it and just put that through the windscreen. It was looking a bit terrible before he did yeah. that. I was like, you can't, it's a black, black car. You can't see the real like dents that you're putting yeah. in it or whatever. And when he was scratching it, I was like, it doesn't look like you've done anything really there, mate. And then, yeah, just put the windows through uh, with a weapon, not your own hands, Goldberg. Um, so he does that. And then Sid, he turns and you'll never guess what's there. <laughs> Ridiculous. It's a forklift uh, about five yards away from the car. So, of course, he does it through the window, flips the car over. I think my favourite part... did well to do that. Yeah, did it, nailed it. My favourite part of it, though, was the bit where he did it, flipped the car over, oh, my God, gets out the forklift and just goes, I oh, can't be asked to put, a, like, a handbrake or whatever it is on, and it just rolls back into the car, just insult to injury sort of thing. Um, he's very happy with his work. So Hobbs is like, okay, yeah, I'm going to kill Silas Young now. I'm going to powerbomb him off the ramp through these set of four tables. Um, but before he can do that, here comes Wardlow with the music and what have you. Big brawl, wrestlers, referees, agents, they all try and separate them. Uh, Aaron Solo sees an opportunity and jumps onto the back of Wardlow. Big mistake. He gets powerbombed off the stage through the tables. Uh, and I think Wardlow actually stands tall with the TNT title. It might have got all the shenanigans. I don't know what happened there. But I'll save that. Take for the preview next week. Indeed. Yeah, um, big match next week. Aye, no good outcome. But I'll elaborate that on. All going well, neither of the time. Um, I didn't necessarily hate the idea for the angle. This is meant to feel like... This is meant to be a program between two horses with kind of a big, dumb, fun, blockbuster, blockbuster feel to it. Yeah. So I don't hate the idea of doing a bit of vehicular daft crap, but the execution was so poor. Tables that happened to be there by the ramp. The camera wasn't invisible, but it might as well have been, because why was it there? Why would it ever be stationed there? It's never been stationed there before. It's not stationed there regularly to build the logical to build the logic of a segment like this. It was just there for a contrived purpose. The forklift was just there. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It all happened to make something happen. It didn't organically sort of build on anything that was already established. It was woefully contrived. It seemed to drag when he didn't do a good enough job of beating up that car. Got there in the end, but smashed the window straight away. Everyone likes a nice big smash. Take the wing mirrors off. Yeah. Like, it's there's bits of a car that I'd always yeah, think. Bang, 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 windscreen, and then do the forklift. I can't scratch it. It's a black car at night. Like, oh, <laughs> man, what are you doing? So I just... I continue to be underwhelmed and baffled by the fact that... And look, I really like the intricate routes that they take in AEW a lot of the time, and I'll get onto it later. Something like this should just be kept so nice and simple, and they continue to make it convoluted and contrived, and just this TNT title division sucks. I also really like the... Well, we all know he gifted in that car, and it's his pride and joy having had it for one week... Did we learn about this last week or not? I think it was, it might have been a rampage thing. My my dates and times are all over the place, or it might have might have even been before. But it was, it's a very recent addition. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like, oh, there's Hobbs and his car. It was very much like, and here's I, the, you know when they did it with Strowman? Here's the big red car. Yeah. And then Strowman's like, I'm going to smash that big red car up. And you're like, oh, that's a lucky coincidence. And I get it because, you know, 
It was Wardlow's car. Of course, yeah, he bought it with, or he bought it with Wardlow's card that he stole. That Aaron stole, Solo stole his identity. I don't know. So it's all about cars. So I get it. But if you're Hobbs, you're an idiot. Why would you get a brand new custom when someone who hates you has got motive to destroy it? Mm. So contr- like from a character level, from a staging perspective, this is so contrived. Just getting in the way of bloody what they can do. Some good visuals, though. Smashed up car and someone getting put through four tables. <laughs> yeah. If you're less pedantic than me, you might have <laughs> had fun with it, but I'm a dick, so... Um, one thing I think we can all agree didn't have that much fun in was the uh, Cool Guys Kunda promo by Ricky Starks. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> Switchblade, JY, and Juice Robinson. There's a big video package about, obviously, their attack on Ricky Starks. Um, with the best of the bunch with a Bang Bang Gang, I think they called themselves. How's uh, it taste, Ricky Starks? How's the Blade Runner? Um, White says he's here to claim what is rightfully his. This is Bullet Club Gold. Well, it's so desperate. Between how long this faction has gone on for, how increasingly irrelevant it is in this new suffix of Bullet Club Gold, it's a f- it's literally one degree away from NWO Silver. That's what I was thinking. Like, are you stupid? Like, why are you calling it that? Uh, uh, no, it's not ancient and irrelevant, and uh, it's, no, it's not, no, no, it's not as, you know, bad as it was, as that you're thinking of, I know Kenny and AJ and Finn are better leaders than everyone thinks that, this has got gold on the end of it, like, <laughs> you're taking the piss, like, an assault on my intelligence, this, it's gold, oh, <laughs> that means it's the best one yet, because you've called it gold, like, are you Dinosaur, That's what I said when I watched this. Like, oh, hey, kiss my ass, suck my cack. <laughs> you know, like, lick my twat. You know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, it's, oh, like, all right, I thought that after a decade of this, near enough, this fading cultural force that just hasn't been relevant or big time in years, I thought it was finished. I thought Bullet Club was, in fact, no longer fine. Gold, oh, it's great. Bullet Club Gold. I hate the Bullet Club trappings of all of this because I think that this is quite a bold thing from Tony Khan where you've got this beloved, he was around winter is coming, he's kind of cooled off, but ostensibly beloved next big thing, babyface figure in Ricky Starks. He's got all the momentum and upside in the world because he's just beat Jericho. Yeah. Um, he's turned face. It's about time. He was ready. People wanted it. It's happening. And then he's got this guy who they think is a main event talent in Jay White. Boom. That's hot drama. Mm. That's 2019 level drama where it's kind of all or nothing for the characters involved. Because Ricky Starks is busted if he doesn't beat Jay White. And Jay White is a non-starter. Yeah. So this is pure... Yeah. Like, uncut AEW drama when they really used to do no rematches. Like, they you can't beat him. That's what it used to be in 2019. And then it's just weighed down by this Bullet Club gold. Oh, sorry, it's great. I've just realized it's got gold at the end of it. Why, I was going to criticize it there, but it's got gold at the end. It's it's, it's genuinely QTV Mogul Affiliates level. Get rid of this straight away. Get this as a non-starter. I do love that as an idea. Do you want to, Sid, I've got an offer for you. Do you want to buy this 
uh, iPhone 4. I know you've got like an iPhone 14 now or whatever, but do you want to buy this iPhone 4? No. 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 What about the iPhone 4 Gold? The Gold. The Gold. <laughs> what is your obsession with the... <laughs> yeah, it was a weird... Also, bang, bang, gang. It's like, you're trying too hard, lads. Yeah. Just pump the brakes a little bit. I know there's Show me more pictures of Jay White's abs and I'm sold. I know there's such a thing as a deluded heel. This is way too far. And I know it's part of Jay White's shtick, whereas like, I single-handedly single handedly sold out MSG. Mm. He knows that certain nerds are going to go, uh, no, it's Kenny, actually, because people think he was going to be there before he left New Japan. It wasn't you. And that's how he can work up the marks with his I sold it out. I sold it out. I know he does this, but trying to sell me on the Bullet Club, even from the POV of a deluded heel, is just not working for me, brother. So I'm just, I'm going to a rabbit hole here. NXT. No, dear, that's wrong. NXT Black. No, dear, that's wrong. Uh, NXT Black and Gold. Oh, my God. <laughs> More on that later. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com wrestling. Wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Right. You know why I'm normally, Sige, we, I'm, I'm always bad because I should have really clipped off the whole ladies' night. Before we get to the name of the game, let's get to the aim of the game. Can we just clip off a bit where me and you wax lyrical about how great Orange Cassidy is just to save time? Yeah, he's the best. Just Best TV champion ever, and he's not even the TV champion. It just... Every week, or you know, at least every fortnight, when he's put in matches with just random people, we were like, uh, "Okay, Buddy Matthews, nothing against him, but he's not going to win the title." I hundred percent bought he was going to win the title yeah. in this match, and I thought they had an absolute ripper. 
It was incredible. Such an achievement of a match. Before you do the rundown, right, I might forget to say this. It was called the All-Atlantic title when it had a flag <laughs> of a nation that is on the coast of the Pacific on it, right? Yeah. Everyone was like, what? Then they called it the international title from a box office flop tie-in. It's not only a synonym of world, but it's got connotations with the WCW international title, which was one of the most convoluted farces mm. in 90s wrestling. They could call it the everyone holding this title is a stupid <laughs> belt. <laughs> and Orange Cassidy's brilliance would still make it prestigious. Yeah. He's unbelievable in the role of fighting champion. It's the best final form thing ever. Orange Cassidy is amazing. And when he loses this thing, it's going to feel so big and sad at the same time. And then he should win it back and hold it forever. He's it, the best. They've laid the foundations. He could, like, this is the whole point of this in this match. You know, like I said, nothing against Buddy Matthews, an incredibly talented individual, but he's the third most likely person in the House of Black to be champ champ, basically. Uh, maybe fourth. Maybe Julia Hart could do something. I don't know. But in this match, with the Orange Cassidy hand, like, he's... He's Adam Cole back when he was doing the, you know, the Survivor Series and the War Games, what it was, just all held together by tape. And you're like, how can no one beat him? He's, he's buggered. And yet he pulls it out of bag every time, exemplified by this match. So Cassidy's using his speed early on um, because look at Buddy Matthews. He's like, Orange Cassidy looks like the Steve Rogers before they put him in the machine. And Buddy Matthews looks like Steve Rogers when he comes out as Captain America. He's just like, oh. Oh, he's just got muscles in places where Cassidy doesn't have places. So Cassidy does his shtick. He puts his hands in his pockets, but he drop kicks Buddy Matthews to the floor and hits a dive. But as they come back in, uh, Matthews catches him doing a crossbody off the top. Um, Cassidy just brilliant counters left, right, and center here. Uh, he counted into a satellite DDT at one point and then hit him with the orange punch. But he's got the taped up hand. And as we go to break, the doctors are like, is your hand all right? And he's like, I think it is. And the doctor's like, do you want to just flex it? And as he does that, Buddy Matthews just goes yeah. right on it. Just look great, that visual. Uh, we come back. They're trading super kicks on the apron. Matthews blocks a DDT, hits a pump knee, wants a destroyer, but Cassidy counters with a beach break on the bloody apron. Oh, my God. Um, they just both make it back in at the count of nine. There's a forearm battle. Uh, again, Buddy Matthews is concentrating on the bad hand of Orange Cassidy. He... Um, does the little mocking kicks, and you're like, okay, but why would you do that? And then he just knees Cassidy as hard as he can in the face. Uh, Cassidy comes back, tries a superplex. Matthews reverses it, but then Cassidy counters into an avalanche DDT. Huge move, that. Oh, my God. Quite right. Uh, Cassidy hits a diving DDT on the floor and a DDT off the top inside for two. Um, Matthews blocks the orange punch, hits the curb stomp, and I go, oh, cool, it's over. Um but Orange Cassidy kicks out at two. Um, Buddy Matthews goes for Murphy's Law, but Cassidy gets that mousetrap pinning combination and gets the one, two, three, retaining the Intercontinental. Intercontinental? Sorry, that's forced to have it. The International uh, title. Just love this. This is unbelievable. This was the idealized television professional wrestling match, as distinct from a pay-per-view match, because on TV... You can't work with all of your top stars interacting. It gets boring. Look at WWE for the past 20 years. <laughs> you are meant to have a top star champion wrestler 
work on the TV cycle anyway. A lower-rung opponent elevate them in defeat. Jesus Christ, this was the ideal TV wrestling match. It was so close to perfection. Maybe I'm, you know, this is so fantastic. What I loved about this, right, was not just how literally everything mattered with Cassidy's hand and what he could do with it, what he couldn't do with it, what he defied to do things with it. I like the bit on commentary, sorry to interrupt, where they hit one and you're like, well, hang on, 10 minutes ago when he hit yeah. orange one, he was like, ah, my bloody hand. But it's true, if you're a fan of boxing, you know this, if you break your hand, you give it about 10 minutes and that hand goes completely numb. It's not a good idea to punch someone with it, yeah. but you ain't going to be in agony when you nail it. Yeah. And, and that's a shout out to I think it was Excalibur who put that over on commentary. Maybe even Taz. They are both so perfect, them two, at the desk at sort of adding athletic and pro wrestling strategy inside. That's the thing I can't do. Yeah. Um, and they're a tremendous, tremendous asset to the booth on that basis. Excalibur and Taz are great at this. And Giovanni's got the warmth. Right, it's just a perfect unit. I love them, even if they're a little bit too irreverent at times mm. for me. So everything mattered. The hand stuff, what he could do, what he couldn't, what he defied, was all absolutely sensational. What I loved about this as well was the bit, right, where I had this ping-ponging epiphany and it, these two twists and how they both happened just in succession was just immaculate where he's, he's selling this hand he's selling this hand he's selling this hand he's doing things in spite of this hand he's doing things that he can't take advantage of because of the hand and then about three or four minutes before the finish when it's really feeling so back and forth and Christ could buddy win this he puts his hands in his pockets. Yeah. It's like, oh, he doesn't even need the hand. How did I not spot this? Because he's been wrestling with his hands in his pocket for like four years. He doesn't need his hands. One second later, he puts his hands in his pocket. He gets his face imploded with a knee. But it also, it's even better than that, I thought. Because that spot, obviously normally he goes, whoa, and puts his hands in his pockets. But I like the fact that he went... I'm going to put my hands in my pockets, but he's like, I'm going to hold my pocket open because this hand's buggered. Yeah. Just the little touches. The little touches, touches yeah. were great. So like, and I, I had this epiphany of, oh, he can still win. He can still win because I'm an idiot. <laughs> he's been wrestling with his hands in his pockets for years and years and years. He knows how to do this. But he guy doesn't even need his hands. And then he gets kneed in the face. It's like, well, he, right, he's knackered. The title switch is incoming here because if he can't, if he can wrestle without his hands, great. But now he can't even do that. Then he's got nothing left. And then he just has to use his wits and his craft and his ingenuity to win in the end. This was a structural masterclass on the part of Orange Cassidy, but my God, did Buddy Matthews almost hold his own. Um, he wrestled like this hybrid super indie super athlete at the same time as working at like a hoss. It's like, how can he combine those two things? It was like the very best Brian Cage performance mm. you've ever seen. Um and I tell you what, I watched, and I would recommend all of our listeners go and watch Shingo versus Hanare from the April 2nd day on the Road to Sakura Genesis tour at Corican. And I think Hanare is good. He knows his character well, but he's not a 40-minute working a main event guy for me. Shingo Takagi selling for this guy was one of the best individual performances I've ever seen in my life. He made him seem like he was in the war of his life. And I thought... Oh, I wish I hadn't watched that before Dynamite because nothing on the show is going to touch it. In a very different way, and obviously the match wasn't as good as Shingo Hanare, but Orange Cassidy just had this absolutely incredible, incredible um, approach 
to making Buddy Matthews look like he was winning this title, and it was like the toughest match he's ever had yeah. in his life. So good. So unbelievably good. Look at the recent, like what a recent stretch of title defences. Against, no offence, against people you wouldn't be like, well, that's, that's a must-see. Like, you put Orange Cassidy against Adam Cole, and people go, I need to watch that. Put him against... Darby Allen, he's watched that. MJF, whoever, you know, just the big names, basically. And they're not, it's going to sound like I'm incredibly backhand a compliment here. But recent defences. Buddy Matthews, Drillistico, The Butcher, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Big Beal. That's just, just off the top of my head. That's the most recent All-Atlantic slash international. Kip Sabian? Had a great Kip match Sabian, with Kip yeah, Sabian. Was, yeah. So many different matches, so many different levels of challenger. He's the perfect champion. Orange Cassidy is the perfect champion. What if Miro comes back and just murders him? Like, oh, you got a hurt your hand. Well, here's a guy who's going to... It would be a great way to bring him back, but it, I think that with Miro's... And again, I'm not on the inside. I only know one side of that story. I think Miro's attitude... I think someone who really deserves it and who wants to yeah. be there and who's willing to do the job when it matters three or four or five months into their run. Like, they have to be... Again, this underscores just how great this reign has been. Whoever takes it off Cassidy has to have earned it, has to be loyal and committed, and has to be trusted because, my God, it's a rub now. At this point, it's a rub whoever drops this, whoever he drops this title to. That's why it should be Chris Jericho. <sighs> Okay, uh, there's a vignette for Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Some things have changed. Luchasaurus' gear, mainly. And they're in the red light corridor. I love it. You ever seen the film Mandy? No. Is it's that the... Who, who's in that? Nick Cage. I thought it was, yeah. The, the lighting it like Mandy. They look like the most terrifying guys <laughs> in the sort of ambient red light. I love this aesthetic to the vignette. Fantastic. Uh, it wasn't over for Orange Cassidy, by the way. He's backstage with Renee Paquette. Uh... Trent's like, he's fine. <laughs> he's got an ice pack on his hand. He can't even do the hands-in thing. He gets Renee to do to step in for him there. Uh, and we find out that uh, Trent and Chuck are going to face the new IWGP Tag Team Champions for the belts uh, on Rampage. Aussie Open this week. We'll, of course, talk about that tomorrow on the Rampage preview. Been looking forward to this all day. Ethan Page is in the ring now. Oh, I haven't been looking forward to this. Uh, he talks about he's been going through a bit of a rough patch he's a bit all over the place he hasn't even had a chance to get a haircut or a tan but he just chucks some gel in his hair and he looks better than each and every one of you basically uh, but he wants to know why Matt Hardy clocked him with the FTW title last week and all, all the shenanigans with the contract for the title match with Hook so here comes uh, Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy and he says ah you're a you should have uh, read the fine print and you're a hole in the ass and that was a 2016. And Hardy says, I manipulated... You got it the wrong way around. <laughs> I manipulate, manipulated you. And in, in that contract, Sige, it said that if Hook beat Page and Hardy and Private Party, concentrate here, are no longer under the dominion of the firm, but also he gets a match with Ethan Page. And the stipulation for that match is if, if he wins... Hardy and Private Party are no longer with the firm. Isn't it a bit of a risk? <laughs> I don't months know. ago when all of this happened, and I don't really remember when, isn't it a risk to say, right, who 
is motivated to do our bidding and who can we sort of get to beat Ethan Page to get out of this? And we'll just put it in a small print. Who's the most, who are we friendly with? Who's the most sort of engaged or um, susceptible guy to sort of be a pawn in our master plan? Hook? The guy who gives a toss about nothing? Isn't that a risk? Yeah. Stupid! And I'm tired of... I got worked into thinking this was halfway decent. Yeah. By a hot crowd. And I feel like... I demeaned myself by putting this over. Tell you what. Before Jeff Hardy hit the ring, this was not over in the building one bit. And I've had people tell me on Twitter. Some of them are quite nice as well, so I feel bad. They just like their AEW, and that's fine. But I've had people tell me that. This is getting them over. They weren't over here no. until Jeff came out. It, it reminded me a little bit, and I'm a fan of Ethan Page. I felt a bit sorry for him here. It reminded me a little bit of when Miz has to go like, don't say tiny balls, because no one's enchanting tiny balls. And they go, yeah. oh, well, he said you don't want to do it. Like, there was a bit here where Ethan Page was like, don't cheer this, man. And they were like, oh, yeah. Delete, 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 half-hearted. Stop doing delete. I don't care if it's fun to do. One, it isn't. Two, you're giving them ideas. Yeah. Don't, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when encourage. You say to your kid, don't encourage it. Yeah. Say to your kids. Like when Charlotte starts like being a bit naughty and James is delighted by it. I was like, James, you know better. Sit down on your fucking switch and don't encourage her because she's both being a nightmare right now. Don't encourage Matt Hardy. It's no encouragement. But I did what I, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe I'm just thick. But didn't Matt Hardy say, and that's why, if you lost the match with Hook, we don't have to be in the firm anymore. And then, when I beat you in our match, we don't have to be in the firm anymore. Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Confused. Anyway, regardless. Tell you what as well. Matt Hardy. <clears throat> a big, corny smile. Like, the second that the AEW storytelling discourse started to just pollute all of Twitter. Guy. Posts a picture with his arm around Isaiah Cassidy after doing a media interview where he's like, you know, they should tell more stories in AEW, and I just still happen to have one. You know what the benefits of good storytelling are, guys? Please keep me on the card. This guy is getting to show his personality and get over but Bob going, uh, that he does on the vlog on telly. That was mildly amusing for a week. When was the last time you heard of Cassidy? Cassidy. Cassidy chant on AEW. Yeah. Doesn't happen, he's not that over. God damn it, on TV. The second the guy opens his mouth with, like, to maximize his seconds, not even his minutes, that corny begging for a reaction starts going, delete, 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 hey, give me that microphone. Watch it back. Yeah, you're right. Watch it back. Anyway. A, a corny succubus, Matt Hardy is. So, anyway, uh, Hardy's talking about, yeah, the firm, you... Ethan Page. I know that's Cody's line. It's good, so I'm going to steal it. You, Stokely Hathaway, and Page is like, hey, more than just me and Stokely in the firm. And here comes Big Bill. God, I love me some Big Bill. I love Big Bill. And Lee Moriarty. They attack from behind. The three-on-two beat down. Hook comes out to try and even out the numbers, but then again, it's Big Bill, mate. So um, he's getting their ass asses handed to him when who should return to make the save but Jeff Hardy and he's learnt Sige not to do a dance on the ramp whilst his mates are getting their heads kicked in they should be learning some lessons instead instead to what lesson he learns he gets straight it's, not, to, it's a bit of a trivial lesson but he could be learning some more important lessons he gets straight to the ring 
after showing everyone the lovely design he's drawn on a chair. <laughs> Which I would the only thing that would have made that better is if he'd have walked out, st paintbrush still in hand. One second, lads. There we go, finish right. Okay, let's get into this. He clears the ring. Um and poor Lee Moriarty. It's always the young lads, isn't it? Twist of fate for him, and then the most brutal-looking swanton bomb. Modern-day Jeff Hardy swanton bombs. He is not taking any of that on himself. It's just bang right on top of the poor young talent, whoever it is that's eating it. Uh, and, yeah, Jeff Hardy's back in AEW. Well, uh, so when I wrote ups and downs, I didn't want to put it as an up or a down. It feels like it trivializes a really complex and nuanced yeah. issue. Um, look... There's two sides to this. As someone who has struggled with addiction before, I can completely sympathize with Jeff's plight. It is so hard to kick something that you just don't want in your life anymore. And it never leaves you. And it never leaves you. The temptation will always be there. Um, I've struggled. It's really, really hard at times. Um, but at the same time, you are a millionaire who gets a million opportunities to be a millionaire. Everyone always wants to sign Jeff Hardy. Ne no one ever learns the lesson. People learn it as well as he does. You can afford an Uber. You might not be in the adult frame of mind to recall that you can order an Uber, but you can afford one. And I just order a goddamn Uber and stop endangering people's lives. Mm. Um... So I am torn. I'm very sympathetic towards um, people who struggle with some substance abuse issues because I've been there. Um, and I hate that he has endangered people's lives and he just gets opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And the ethical concerns are the most important thing, right? But say for a, for a minute that I had this really nostalgic affection for Jeff Hardy, and it's pure nostalgia at this point because he has to really, really batter himself and just do really ill-advised stunts and ladder match to get value out of him because when he had a match against Bobby Fish on Dynamite, it was like it was hovering on heroes of wrestling level. In a straight singles match, he can labor towards a gentleman's three through the noise level alone. Even if I had nostalgia for Jeff Hardy, how could I invest in this TV character knowing that he could just f*** up irresponsibly and endanger people's lives again within months. Mm. Um, and again, when I say those words, I feel guilty because the man's an addict and it's really, really, really hard. The thing about Jeff Hardy is that he asks the wrong questions as a performer. Can you trust him? Can you invest in him? Does he deserve one last one after the last one after the last one? I'm never, you nev no one ever asked, oh, what's Jeff Hardy going to do next? Or, oh, I just knew this day was going to come and I'm just going to feel anxious for everyone involved in his life, himself, and legitimately unwitting bystanders yeah. who hopefully you're not a bystander when he's near a car. Uh, we hear Kenny Omega's uh, comments from earlier on today from his home talking about the uh, Blackpool Combat Club and their recent attacks. He said he'd spoken to the books. Uh, they promised they're going to take care of things in the ring. Um, they oh, they re-show that injury to Don Callis. Oh, my God. I thought that it was, like, overstated because it looked like gimmick blood. Hmm that they sometimes use, 
and it just looked so innocuous, but then some of the most horrible injuries do. My God, you could actually almost see his skull when they were about to peel it open to check. The, oh, God, because I had to clean it out, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Don't clean out his brain. Horrible oh, stuff. Got uh, And he says, uh, when you did that, we took it personally. Look, I get it. Don's not the most likable guy, um, but he's still family. And um, when you mess with family, you cross the line. Uh, he wants to say it's blood for blood, but he knows that's what the BCC want. Uh, when he sees him next, it's going to be worse than that. Much worse. And then it was time for the BCC, John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli uh, versus Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. Not a competitive match, this. No. Which is exactly what they needed to happen, to be honest. BCC made their entrance. We've got a break when we come back. Here comes um, Nakazawa and Cutler, and they barely get it down the ramp before Moxley and Claudio attack them. Uh, Moxley's driving a chair into the neck of Brandon Cutler whilst Nakazawa... Gets his head smashed off the apron until he's busted wide open, basically. Um, and he crawls in the ring, and Rick Knox goes, you all right? Like, ring the <laughs> Which was, I don't know, made me sadistically giggle a little bit. Um, he tries to fight back, but Claudio's too much for him, of course. Clothesline, giant swing, puts him in the sharpshooter, uh, but uh, also busted open. Brandon Cutler comes in to stop that. Um, Nakazawa manages to backdrop for, uh, for a... Free via a pile drive uh, from a pile driver, sorry. And Moxley gets in and clearly can make it there before he gets to, over to Cutler. And he's like, I don't care, tag him in if you want. Yeah. He does that. Um, Cutler makes a wish this was filmed hot tag <laughs> yeah. as much as he can until Moxley goes, Right, enough of that. Bites him in the face. King Kong Lariat, Death Rider. Um, and then they just both come in and destroy what's left of Cutler and... Mox's uh, foot stomps looked terrible, but I'm yeah. going to try and gloss over that. Beats him down, basically, until Rick Knox is like, I don't even know the legal men are, but let's, let's just call it, shall we? Um, Moxie gets on the mic. He wants the Young Bucks. He wants the Cowboy. He wants Don Gallus. Uh, but they're all at the hospital because they've got glass jaws, glass bodies, glass egos. Um, Kenny Omega's music finally hits after he's watched his mates get further killed a little bit longer, and he comes out... Um, and again, commentary does a brilliant job of like, yeah, he's not going to rush in the ring because look at what's happened every time previously. Um, but of course, he's also drawing the um, the Blackpool Combat Club's attention and in comes the Young Bucks from behind to super kick. Big brawl kicks off. Um, they take out Moxie with a BTE trigger. Omega gets a toolbox from under the ring. He's going to nail Moxley, who's propped up in the corner with it. But Matt Jackson stops him, pulls out a screwdriver because of the history with that. Uh, Moxley still doesn't really care. He spits in Matt Jackson's face uh, and dares Omega to do it. But as he rushes in to do it, do it, uh, Claudio pulls Moxley out of the ring uh, and basically Omega stabs the top turnbuckle and it's just stuck in there as we see the BCC retreat through the crowd. A measure of revenge for the elite. I loved all of this. Um, I liked the hapless, but we have to do this for our own self-respect. We're going to get killed. We're going to try not to. Like, we're going to do it, but just like a nice doomed scenario. Cutler... Like, I loved the visual of the blood underneath the mask. Yeah. I know AEW overuses blood, and I would agree with that. It also, uh, blood's cool. I'm a blood's cool guy, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm always like, when I saw Nakazawa bust open, I was like, and, oh, not another not one. Not you one. Yeah, I saw Cutler, and I was like, oh, my God. Because it's like, he looked idiotic but brave at the same time, yeah. and that was like a neat visual summary of his sort of role in the match. So I liked all of it. 
just getting bludgeoned against the apron and bleeding was just so knucklehead stuff. But that's what the BCC is now. It was great. Um, Moxley's stamps looked genuinely terrible. It's like he used to do a jumping knee that never connected as well. It's because he can't do it. And he's a great wrestler, in the words of Minoru Suzuki. Um, did nay expect Matt Jackson no. out there. So that was a great swerve. The shoulder this bugger is a very bicep. He's got a partially uh, okay. torn bicep. Can I tell you something? Gear matters even when like it shouldn't as much. I was so overjoyed that Kenny Omega's got a pair of halfway fashionable or stylish <laughs> jeans. I love Kenny Omega so much, and yet when I've seen him do brawls, his pa- his jeans that he wore in the exploding barbed wire death match took me out of it almost as much as a dud explosion. He looked like. Um, you know those old, oh god, yeah, like the meme of, or like the sort of the middle-aged lads out in the town, and they've got those really baggy pants and those like black smart shoes. Mm. He looked a bit like that. He's got a nice pair of well-fitting bloody jeans, and he looked great. He looked like a star. And I'll tell you what I love because I'm an elite nerd, and I love how they tie these things together. Because what they did here with the use of one prop prolonged this in a really interesting way. So he's ready to kill John Moxley, ready to beat his ass, avenging Callus and the Bucks. The Bucks are very gently trying to say, we kind of like Hangman again. He's one of the boys. Can he get back in the all good graces? Avenge him too by using the screwdriver mm-hmm. with which he was attacked. Kenny Omega looks at it and says, oh, I want to beat him up, but not using this because this will symbolically indicate that I want to do this for Hangman Page, I don't. And by the time he goes, you know what, maybe I should, Moxley gets away. So you've kind of drawn the elite a bit closer together, or apart, who knows, it's still a mystery. And you've avoided the full-on BCC elite brawl, because you kind of have to save that for nearer the pay-per-view to set that one Mm -hmm. up. Elegant stuff all around. Yeah, really good stuff, this. And And the show's... Pretty crap for the rest of it. And going forward, you're like, oh, great. Well, the numbers, you know, they're back together now. Let's ignore the bicep injury. They're back together. Oh, wait a second. Brian Danielson. Yeah, Yeah, he's four on three. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, Interview with uh, Cage, Nana, and uh, Swerve Strickland. And this is where he said, like, yeah, well done to Darby Allen. I did that, basically. Um, uh, But he says, Mogul Embassy isn't done growing. It's getting bigger day by day. And you know what? There's still time left tonight. There's some scores to settle. Where's this going to go? And just as I called, I will take a bit of a victory lap here. After all the excitement. Oh, my God, the elite. Right, send the women out. Let's calm things down a little bit, shall we? And make sure there's an advert right in the middle of this match. And it's only six minutes. Got butchered. Poor, poor form this. Because it was Tony Storm and Ruby Soho uh, of the Outcast versus Riho and Sky Blue. Soho and Storm attack as soon as the bell rings. uh, But they get back into it, do Riho and Sky Blue. And Riho uses her, actually, for an assisted crossbody to the floor. Um... And they go, it's enough women's wrestling for now, I think. Time for a break. Go to a break. It's just ruined the whole match, basically. Not in terms of the work was fine, just in terms of like, oh, I'm not invested in this. Wasn't that great either, to be Mm. honest. Anyway, Blue makes the tag, runs wild, misses a Tony Storm blind tag, though. Um, 
But Blue manages, despite that, to get out of the way of a hip attack, fight off all three members, because Soraya is there, of course, as well, whilst on the apron, and hit a top rope crossbody back inside for a two count on Tony Storm. Everything breaks down. Everyone's hitting big moves on each other. Uh, Riho gets sent outside by Storm, who hit a German suplex, and then hit Sweet Cheek Music and Storm Zero back-to-back on Sky Blue to get the one, two, three. Um, Post-match, Sky Blue's obviously out of it. Uh, Ruby Soho's going after Riho, gets in the ring and tries to fight all three of them off. But again, numbers game catches up to her. She gets beaten down. She gets the old L spray painted on her. They do a triple power bomb. Um, Jamie Hayter rushes down to the ring. She gets laid out. Numbers game again. Britt Baker comes down, takes out Soho and Storm on the ramp, gets into it with Soraya in the ring, uh, and looks like she's going to hit Soraya with the curb stomp. But Soraya gets pulled out by the rest of the outcasts. Um, and yeah, uh, more developments. Again, with same this, development. Yeah, I was going to say more of the same development. It did, it did feel like if you asked me next week, if you said the three things that have happened in the last few weeks, like the Riho title, uh, Riho title match doesn't count because the, the Outcasts weren't involved in that. And that was a nice touch. But the like the last three occasions with the Outcasts, I couldn't put them in chronological order. Yeah, it's for, the same thing the every week. And the match quality for the past three weeks, I believe, has really elevated this storyline that's stuck in neutral. Um, this match was nothing, and I think Sky Blue, to be fair, who has looked good, um, didn't have a great night, so that didn't help us at all. The match got butchered by the commercial break. No one could invest in it. Um, and well, I'll tell you what I didn't like, the successive music-backed interferences of Hater and then Baker. Why don't they come out together? I, I mean, know. I suppose actually that might be a good little wrinkle of like, see, why aren't you two together? But I don't know. I think there's one or two pops... Yeah, just felt fake. It felt so fake and like a staged show. And I used to love it when they didn't come out to any. But now they do it all of the time because it's the thing that American wrestling has to do. Um, I understand that they had to build to a Baker match in Pittsburgh, but what do they build here? If you build, you put one thing on top of another or in line next to something. The, this conflict has been established for months yeah. with minimal development. The odd player has been sort of added to the... Um, homegrown side, but it feels like it's the wrong way around because now they have an advantage, if you like. So it's all a bit backwards. It's all a bit... It's backwards and a tiny bit forwards and then backwards and neutral. It's not propulsive going forward. No. And they could have just done a match graphic. Oh, these people hate each other and Baker's in Pittsburgh. So match graphic and then do something substantial with the women that isn't involved in the storyline because, God damn it, it's the same every week. And I know it's going to a good destination. And they'll turn around and say, see, what were you complaining about? I was complaining about the lack of forward motion. Mm. I, know does, it's, I know it's going somewhere, but build it in a more interesting, linear way. It does feel like he's got a whiteboard of stuff that you can constantly wipe clean and go, right, this big development with the elite, this big development with the pillars, and this, da-da-da. And then on that whiteboard, there's just a like a set thing that just is magnetized to it. And on one side, it says, outcasts, spray the L on someone and uh, Hater and Baker or someone like that make the save. And you flip it over, it just says, Jay Cargill squash match. And he just yeah. changes it each. And then it's got blood and guts. And so it's got yeah. L spray paint, question mark, question mark, question mark, blood and guts. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we move on to the main event, just for fun. It's time to play the game. Not punching down. 
When's the anniversary of that? We should look into it. The anniversary of what? Tamina doing the worst karaoke of all time? Yeah. Somehow worse than our wrestling, actually. That's not going too far. It's Pando, wasn't it? So yeah, it's Pando. I'll right. look into it. Uh, anyway, what's the uh, name of the game before that? What's the aim of the game? Sushi? The aim of the game is to correctly identify to the hour, minute, and second the first note of the first women's wrestling theme tune that you hear on Dynamite 2, just underscore bold italicize that it's an afterthought that they uh, have one match butcher by commercial break every single week and it all exists to form two storylines either about jade cargill or the outcasts <laughs> and it's just getting so tedious so tedious and if we win it once we'll stop playing but we want to keep playing it to just draw attention to the fact that oh my god the the way that they approach this division is so apathetic and token and obligatory that is the uh, aim of the game. The name of the game we play is, well, this is Lady's Nate, and I'm thinking, oh, what a Nate. Uh, this is just for fun. Obviously, no hamphlets, so no score changes this week. Um, but uh, before we get to our times in dis- descending order, descending order. Uh, shout out to the brilliant uh, Adam Blair at Adam Wilton 4 and at the Ho 11, Jose Palomares, uh, who I got to see over WrestleMania weekend, which was awesome, for looking after the. Um, Oh, Data. Thank you uh, for all this. Uh, Sage, what were our timings? Just for fun. Well, I feel like they're going in alternating weeks of second match and then second last match. <laughs> yes. It's not the same every week, guys. Suck my kiak. I went for zero hours, 20 minutes, and 44 seconds, and Adam Will Bourne went one hour, 25, 52. It was one hour, 28 minutes, and 15 seconds. Called it. We called it pretty much to a T there. Uh, but no changes to the standings. One correct guess for me in the entirety of 2023. Yeah. Uh, three for Sidge, five for Hamlet. But Ladies Night returns along with Michael Hamlet next week. Let's get to the main event. It was Chris Jericho versus Keith Lee. Um, early on, Jericho tries for a shoulder tackle. Lee no-sells and kisses on the top of his head. And Jericho pulls a face. <laughs> Loved it. Um, so Jericho fires back up. Um, then just gets his arse handed to him, but managed to avoid that double hand chop in the corner. Um, but the second time, Lee manages to hit it and hit a sc- charging corner splash. He goes to the ropes, but Garcia and his brilliant sunglasses uh, distracts the ref long enough to allow Jericho to hit that springboard corner drop kick. He connects with the lion salt, um, but gets that old classic big man getting pinned as he get it, as he launches him off him basically. Um, Lee gets tripped up by, by Garcia to distract him, um, and uh, Jericho gets pounced across the ring. Um, he goes for the moonsault out of the corner, off the middle rope, but I did like this spot. Jericho gets his knees off, but suffers worse than Keith Lee in doing so. Uh, he gets press slammed brilliantly by Lee for a near fall, but Jericho comes back with an eye rake and puts him in the walls of Jericho. Lee just manages to power out of it. Um, he hits Jericho with an overhand chop and a beal, goes for the finish, but Jericho grabs the ref long enough for Garcia to help him kind of get free of the hold. Um, Garcia gets in, and they both, Jericho and Garcia, eat a double clothesline. Um, Jericho tries to take advantage of all the distractions, though, and goes to the code breaker. Lee just holds him in place, hits a huge powerbomb, but again, Garcia takes the ref. Um, and as Lee goes to cover Jericho, in comes Swerve, running at, running from uh, ringside to clock Lee with a belt, um, knock him out. Jericho just drapes an arm over Keith Lee and gets the shenanigan victory, basically. 
Post-match, Adam Cole, baby. His music hits. He comes down to check on Keith Lee. Uh, and we get basically a mirror image of what we got before. Chris Jericho celebrating with Daniel Garcia in the ring. And uh, Adam Cole goes to walk away and does the little glance over his shoulder. Who uh, Jericho's not happy that his, his thunder's been stolen as well to finish out this show. I like the storytelling at the end. thought it was quite neat. Different approach to a Jericho feud, long overdue. Uh, the match was so slow and boring. I'm sorry there's just two words that describe it, and it's slow and boring. I'll elaborate a little bit. I liked the power bomb. Jesus Christ, the strength on Keith Lee was unreal. Oh, the knees up. Oh, that was a stupid mistake. Cute, but those isolated moments were just that. And as a match, it was such a plodding, laboured, unexciting, slow experience. And Jericho doing a long heat sequence in a fifteen-minute singles match with Keith Lee just wasn't it. Such a rare L. As the kids say, bro, Tony Khan's otherwise incredible matchmaking prowess. Because in in reality, there was we pitched on the preview yesterday that all of the JAS should have been there. Yeah. One distracts the referee. Matt Menard comes in, gets yeeted into oblivion. There should have been smoke and mirrors out the ass, and instead, it was this incredibly laborious, like aura diminishing match. At least insofar as Keith Lee, because my God, they got him so perfect given where he is at physically in his career with a tag team. He should be in a trios or a tag team. I just, this version of Keith Lee cannot be a main event AEW headliner um, on this evidence. Maybe they need to be more selective over who he works because the joy of a Keith Lee match is simple yet very, very, very big in that if he eats or beals someone, it usually looks amazing. Jericho is not dynamic. He can't get himself up. It was just sluggish in the extreme. And the attempts to tell the story of, oh, Keith Lee's, he would have done something cool, guys, but God damn it, Garcia got in the way. You're meant to very slowly do something as a wrestler. Not very slowly, but slower than usual that you know is going to be thwarted mm. to allow the fans to go, oh, man, I was going to say something cool there, but the heel got in the way. Like was, Zorro Swing, for example, yeah, a few years back. But you're not getting that because it's so telegraphed because, God love him, Keith Lee at this point is so slow that when he's about to do the thing in slower mo motion than his usual stuff, it's like you don't get that, ah, oh, I missed the Keith Lee cool thing because you know it's not happening because it's all so telegraphed. Um, I, as a singles AEW guy to the standard... This wasn't it, and I would... Like, he's so great as a tag wrestler. Yeah. He's so fun and so great, and he feels so invincible and freakishly strong, and he get a very good, albeit worked, glimpse of the old Keith Lee in the, in the tag team context. On this evidence, and maybe it was a one-off, my God, he, he can't be a, a headline guy in AEW as yeah, a singles guy. I, I, I depressingly agree with you there. said earlier on, watching that, uh, Darby Allen Swerve match. I was like, oh, cool, two world champions for AEW. Yeah. And Keith Lee is someone who was thinking about this during the show and he got all the pillars stuff going on. And I was like, what a fun, you know, four week build to a, another sort of, you know, fire fest or whatever they yeah. were calling it now. Uh, what a fun thing that would be of MJF being like, I've beaten all the quick, talented guys and Keith Lee just like, 
oh, yeah, but I'll just chuck you around and chop you in the chest. And, like, you could do one week where he just chops MJF, and MJF's like, hell, that's a yeah, bit much. Yeah. Or one week where he just gets thrown. Or one week where MJF tries to do something, and Keith Lee just stands there. And, unfortunately, like you say, after this match, I was like, oh, no, I, no, I don't want to see that. I don't give MJF Keith Lee yeah. in the interim. It's one of those. Um, but then again, yeah, mixed emotions, because I was like, also, I'm glad that they are finishing off this Swerve Lee storyline because they hadn't. It was just sort of forgotten about. Keith Lee go after that? But taking a bloody long time to get there. But also, yeah, Cole and Jericho's building nicely. It is building nicely. It is. And look, Chris Jericho needs to win so that his, at this point, inevitable pay-per-view losses actually mean something. So I've got no problem with him going over Keith Lee here. Mm. None whatsoever. Such a bloody shame. Um, I uh, I feel guilty because he's such a nice bloke. Yeah. He's gone through a lot, but he's just not it. Let us know your thoughts on this show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... Um, Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. And make sure you check out the brilliant Ups and Downs article written by Michael Sidgwick, all about Dynamite, at WhatCulture.com right now. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.